Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. So what would you do with a windfall? It's a question I've read or heard a lot lately. Considering the winner of the mega millions jackpot of $1.3 billion. It is safe to say most of us have thought about what it would be like to win. While winning the lottery is far from likely, the odds this week, or excuse me, last week, are one in 303 million. It's never a bad idea to consider what your future may bring. After all, a windfall isn't limited to lottery winnings, inheritance, property sales, employee stock options, business sales, investment returns, and gifts also do qualify. Here are some tips to keep in mind should you come into a windfall. Number one, assemble your team. When facing a windfall of any size, it's wise to secure the services of an attorney and an accountant who specialize in tax law. They can help manage your newfound wealth while your financial professional, that's me, works with you to create a long-term strategy. Number two, mum's the word. It's unfortunate but there are those who would love to separate you from your money by any means possible. You can avoid some of these scammers by only discussing your finances with those you trust. And number three, plan to give. It's breaking the power of money. As word of your luck spreads, you may get financial requests from friends, family, or charities. Speak with your financial team about Gifting strategies are how you can uh, donate annually. You may even want to consider forming your own charitable foundation. Are you actually likely to win the lottery? No, but it never hurts to be prepared for a lucky day. This is the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights. Markets rally. Earnings are better than expected. This is dated August 1st, 2022. Undaunted by another Fed rate hike and news of a contracting economy, the stock market rallied last week on better than expected corporate earnings. The Dow Jones Industrial Average increased 2.97%, while the S&P 500 picked up 4.26%. The NASDAQ Composite Index gained 4.70% for the week, and the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, rose 0.95%. So that means for the year, the Dow is down 9.61%. The NASDAQ is down negative 20.80%. MSCI EFA is down 18%, and the S&P 500 for the year is down 13.34%. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 2.67 last week, which is down about 10 basis points. Year-to-date, it's up about 1.15%. So basically last week, what happened? The stocks, stock market uh, rallied on earnings, 
It was an inauspicious start to the week after a big box retailer missed earnings and reduced forward guidance on Tuesday, sparking a broad market retreat. But sentiment improved following mega cap technology company earnings that proved better than expected. Enthusiasm gathered steam in the wake of the Fed's 0.75% rate hike, boosted by Fed Chair Powell's comments following Wednesday's FOMC meeting. Powell indicated that it might become appropriate to slow the pace of future hikes, and he didn't believe the economy had entered into a recession. Stocks on Thursday shrugged off news of a second consecutive quarter of negative economic growth to build on Wednesday's gains as fresh earnings continued to comfort, not impress, investors. So the economy contracts. The U.S. economy shrank at an annualized rate of 0.9% or 90 basis points in the second quarter as consumers pulled back on spending and businesses worked to reduce inventories. It was the second consecutive quarter of negative economic growth, meeting the technical definition of a recession. Unlike past recessions, hiring has been strong all year with the unemployment rate near historic lows. The economic slowdown was attributable primarily to decreases in inventories, a deceleration in the housing market, and lower government spending. Consumer spending increased a tepid 1%, well below the inflation rate during the same period. This week, key economic data. So today, the ISM uh, manufacturing uh, index Tomorrow, which is Tuesday, job openings and labor turnover survey, which is called JOLTS. Wednesday, ADP employment report, Institute for Supply Management or ISM Services Index, and then factory orders. On Thursday, jobless claims are reported. Friday, employment situation update. So this week, uh, busy week for earnings for major some major S&P 500 companies. On Tuesday, uh, Advanced Micro Devices, PayPal, Caterpillar, Prudential, Starbucks, um, Marathon Petroleum Corporation, Marriott International. Wednesday, CVS Health, Fortnet, uh, PPNL Corporation, Booking Holdings, Occidental Petroleum, Regeneron. Thursday, Block, which was formerly known as Square, Twilio, or yeah, Twilio, <laughs> Amgen, Eli Lilly, Conoco, Philips, Air Products and Chemicals, Abermarl, Kellogg. Friday is Brookshire Hathaway, the conglomerate. There's no recession until an obscure panel says so. Friday, July 22nd, 2022, I came across this article by Steve Matthews of Bloomberg, and it was uh, I picked it up in the Indianapolis Business Journal. Wall Street and Washington are loudly debating whether the U.S. economy can escape a recession, but that monumental judgment will be made by eight eminent economists meeting quietly and far from public view. Go figures, right? While many... Uh, countries define an economic downturn as two consecutive quarters of negative growth for gross domestic product. The U.S. defers this assessment to elite academics at the National Bureau of Economic Research based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, whose leaders scoff at the two-quarter benchmark as simplistic and misleading. 
Recessions have huge impact on markets and US politics. So the NBER Business Cycle Dating Committee of six men and two women led by Robert Hall, a 78-year-old Stanford University professor, can expect harsh criticism if it declines to swiftly declare one on President Joe Biden's watch following two straight quarters of shrinking GDP. But the nonpartisan panel, which was established in 1978 by former Ronald Reagan advisor and NBER President Martin Feldstein, has gone out of its way to keep politics out of the process. The committee meets in secret and doesn't announce its gatherings in advance or even in retrospect unless there's a press release declaring a formal decision. And it typically takes the panel about a year to decide on a recession call. Though some decisions have been made in a few months while others have taken almost twice as long. That's almost always well after a recession has been widely recognized by Wall Street. The committee has never reversed a call. Its other seven members include Christina Romer, head of President Barack Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, and Robert Gordon, author of influential book predicting dire U.S. growth in the next century. Past members have included former Federal Reserve Chair Ben Bernanke, Greg Mankey, chief White House economist for George Bush, and Feldstein, who died in 2019. It's a, it's a mixture of economists who have had uh, leading political roles over the last four presidential administrations. And uh, according to this article, quote, ivory tower eggheads, end quote, said Harvard University professor Jeffrey Frankel, a former committee member. The group is focused strictly on the economic data and the subject of politics never came up, not once, he said. Frankel, who served on the committee from 1993 to 2019, except several years when he served on President Bill Clinton's CEA, which is the Chief Economic Advisory Council. It's a credit to Martin Feldstein and Jim uh, Potterbaugh that um, there have never been any political attacks on the committee. Potterbaugh, a Massachusetts Institute of Technology or MIT professor, leads the NBER today. The NBER doesn't try to time announcements to avoid any impact on elections, saying that that would be aiding one side or the other. The group declared a 2020 recession only a few months after a sharp decline in output and, and a loss of 22 million jobs. Rather than two negative GDP readings, the NBER is looking for a substantial decline in activity over a sustained period of time. The committee sets dates of the peaks of economic activity and troughs based on six monthly data series, including non-farm payrolls, personal consumption spending, and industrial production. During a long expansion like the 1990s, the committee can go years without a meeting, and the members only exchange calls or emails as they update the FAQ on their website, Frankel said. U.S. GDP contracted in the first quarter and trackers of economic activity, such as the popular Atlanta Fed indicator, GDPN, uh, now suggest it will do so again in the second quarter when the data are released on July 28th. Newsflash, uh, we've had two consecutive negative GDP quarters, so that's already done. However, apart from a possible negative GDP print, many indicators suggest the economy is still expanding as a rule, Hall, who led the committee since its inception, says he won't comment on economic data. He's unaware if the committee has ever not declared a recession when there have been two 
negative GDP prints. The committee, in addition to using the six monthly indicators, does consider GDP averaged with the less commonly followed gross domestic income, or GDI, which was positive in the first quarter. The NBER was founded in 1920. It published its first business cycle dates in 1929. What I find interesting about it is that um, from where I sit and what I see, common sense says we're in a mild recession, not, a, not an extreme one uh, to the downside and not a light one, but just a, a mild one. And um, it's confirmed by two, uh, the, the contracting economy and by a few other factors. But um, to say there isn't one is pretty surprising when the GDP is contracting. So try to argue that one, um, Ivory Tower Academics. There's an interesting article that I came across written by Sean Murphy of the American Association of Individual Investors or AII out of their journal. Um, I read an awful lot. And when I come across things that are interesting, maybe some ideas, I will try to put in a plug and share them with you. So the this, this topic is cybersecurity. Cybersecurity companies have experienced rapid growth in revenues, but be prepared to pay up in valuation. The global cybersecurity industry is currently valued at around $185 billion. The industry is projected to reach $500 billion by 2030, registering a compound annual growth rate of 12% from 2022 to 2030. Cybersecurity can be described as the collective uh, method, methods, technologies, and processes to help protect confidentiality, integrity, and availability of computer systems, networks, and data against unauthorized access and damage by attackers. The main purpose of cybersecurity is to protect all organizational assets from both external and internal threats, as well as from disruptions caused by natural disasters. Given the rapidly evolving landscape and ever-increasing adoption of security software across various sectors, including finance, government, military, retail, hospitals, education, and, and energy, to name a few, and more and more sensitive information is being, uh, being and becoming digitized and accessible through wireless and wired digital communication networks and across the omnipresent internet. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest challenges facing public and private enterprises. Recent incidents such as the SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange hacks led President Biden to sign a cybersecurity-related executive order to modernize the nation's computer defenses and protect federal government networks. Although many, but not all, cybersecurity companies are still unprofitable, they have experienced rapid growth in revenues, this is expected to continue as cybersecurity is becoming an increasingly important aspect of businesses and governments. So uh, very interesting space uh, to look at uh, for growth over the next decade and beyond. Now, what's interesting here is I, I hope that uh, we will take uh, uh, take this serious and add money to uh, hardening our schools when we're talking about security, look at all, look at all that we're doing with our software systems. 
um, let, uh, let's, let's do that with our schools, right? Um, this article goes on to talk about a lot of different stocks, um, a lot of which uh, my clients and others own, but um, there's, there's some exchange traded funds uh, in here. You can gain exposure to the space through. Um, and uh, if you are interested in learning more about cybersecurity and maybe investing in it, uh, feel free to reach out to me here at Northbound Wealth Management. Foster. This is our technical analysis spotlight for Northbound Wealth Management. And uh, here we go. The S&P 500 index extends the rally from the extreme oversold conditions realized in June and a pattern-based systematic buy signals that triggered at that time. So there were some buy signals back in June. The market or the S&P 500 is now lifting into a large cluster of medium-term resistance levels surrounding the 4,100 level, which had marked a range of support through the first quarter. We suspect the market will test that resistance and then consolidate. Over that period, we will closely monitor developments in realized inflation and pass through to policy expectations by the Fed. The NASDAQ uh, 100 index lifts towards the 12.665 level. That's a July 22nd high. Technicals continue to point to a further rebound over the near term. So uh, it, the NASDAQ 100 bounced off the 50-day moving average now around that 12,021 level. It extends towards short-term resistance between the range of 12,650 and 12,665 on the heels of yesterday's or a few days ago of the Fed rate hike. This, that was on Wednesday. So, you know, we're tracking the, um, S, uh, the, the, the index levels off the NASDAQ. Um, so the key inflection point is sitting around 13,000. So we're going to be watching um, how the how the Nasdaq 100 responds to that, and if we get a breakout above 13,000, the Russell 2000 index advances through the uh, 1780 to 1795 and opens the door for a further extension toward medium term levels of 1894 to 1952. Um, so they're bouncing also off of a tactical inflection point. Um, Again, across these three different indices, the extreme oversold conditions that happened uh, in mid-June, around in June, um, suggests upside into mid-August. So we'll continue to monitor to see if the markets are going to um, extend up, then consolidate, and then hold support levels or if we'll capitulate and go lower. So global equity index that I'll cover is the Eurostock 50. So the largest 50 companies in Europe. And uh, they kind of look somewhat similar, bouncing off of oversold conditions. Um, and it, it's in certain stages. There's support at, and th that index's levels are 3359 to 3400. And um, there's a a weekly momentum diverging buy signal um, that was uh, out there back in um, June. And it kind of indicates a broader reversal 
uh, in a downtrend that we'll kind of monitor and stay on top of. Um, the next major resistance sits at 37.55 or 37.68. Um, and finally, the Nikkei uh, 225 index, largest 225 companies um, in Japan. It's uh, again, it's stabilized off of the 27,565 level or the 200 day moving average. It accelerated through that last week or we, over the last week and a half. And uh, the tactical tone stays positive while above that inflection point. We think the market trades range bound through summer with pattern resistance near the 28,340 or 28,690 levels. So um, again, I could keep going, but um, I think that's good enough for now. Hopefully you enjoyed this week's technical analysis spotlight. So regarding the S&P 500 company earnings thus far through July 29th, I do want to make note that they've been fantastic. With as many companies checking in with better than expected results, FactSet reported that 73% of S&P 500 companies were surprised with earnings and 66% were astonished by sales. Enjoy the final weeks of summer and we'll keep an eye on the markets. So stay tuned for Market Insights next Monday or Tuesday. Talk to you soon. Thanks.